Hi, this is Matt Cardinal, host of Game On, and this is Our Future is Missing. Please be on the lookout for 37-year-old Watson Jones. He is considered a lost, injured, and missing male who disappeared from St. Petersburg, Florida, December 5th, 1991. His height is 5 foot 8, he weighs 145 pounds, he has brown eyes, black hair, and he is biracial, he's African American and Caucasian. Watson has a scar on the left side of his face and walks with a limp. If you know of Watson Jones's whereabouts, please contact the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children's Hotline at 1-800-THE-LOST. The actual number for that is uh, 1-800-843-5678. To see a picture of Watson, please click on the link on the Voice America homepage, Our Future is Missing, or go to ourfutureismissing.com. Thank you. This is voiceamericakids.com. It's time for Speaking of Sports, your weekly look inside at the stats, scores, opinions, and facts from a kid's point of view. You can't miss one moment of the action going on in the next hour. Now, here's your host. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. I'm Jason. We have a lot to cover today. Mostly we're going to be looking back on the MLB season. Obviously, we had a great season of baseball, followed up by a great World Series uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals taking a 4-3 win over the Texas Rangers. Uh, We're also going to be looking ahead in Major League Baseball as seemingly the only sport that hasn't had a labor dispute in these past few years. As such, we get to focus on the typical things you look at during an offseason. In this case, we have a pretty interesting free agent pool for next season in the majors. Um, We don't really have the huge names out there with the exception of one huge name. Of course, that's Albert Pujols um, and Prince Fielder, I suppose, as well over at first base. Uh, We don't have any of the masses names like we talk about maybe in the NBA. That's partially just the nature of the sport and as a whole this is a pretty stacked free agency for major league baseball could have big impact on the season for next year uh football the nfl is also right in the midst of things and we're definitely going to have a mid-season report coming up later in the show a look at who are the some of these surprise teams currently winning games Uh, obviously we'll take a look at the dream team eagles what's going wrong there and what could be going right following their eventual win against the cowboys Um, And we're going to be looking all around the NFL to see exactly where we see these teams come Super Bowl Sunday, uh, who we see playing during the Super Bowl, whereas who we see folding as the season progresses. Uh, We're going to look back onto the World Series. Like I mentioned, congratulations to the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Took a 4-3 win over the Texas Rangers. The Rangers were denied their first ever World Series win. Um, And basically, we're going to be looking pretty much exclusively at Game 6 and Game 7 from this one. Um, Because from an analytical point of view, obviously, those are the two really interesting games. Uh, If you don't know exactly what happened in Game 6, you've really been missing out. Game 6 was one of the most exciting games I've ever seen in baseball. Uh, Pretty much nothing like it. And maybe it would have been spoiled a little bit had the Rangers taken that Game 7 to win it. Because at the time, the Rangers were up 3-2 going into Game 6. Of course, the Cardinals uh, clinched it, sealed the deal at home in Game 7 behind their ace, Chris Carpenter. Um, And I think that's definitely something to look at. It's not just Carpenter pitching Game 7 specifically. But perhaps one of the deciding factors in this World Series uh, was the way the managers handled their pitchers and their bullpens. Obviously, Tony Larusa gets a bit of a hard time for overmanaging his bullpen sometimes. Um, he set the record for most bullpen moves in a single postseason this season. Um, I think he had it set by like, the NLCS. He had really taken care of it. He's a guy who loves to play with his whole bullpen. 
And obviously, all of these managers say, no, we're not going to pitch someone on short rest. It's detrimental to them. It hurts the team. But you're sending Chris Carpenter out there on three days rest for Game 7. Uh, Carpenter's proven time and time again he's one of the best pitchers of this era in baseball. Uh, not really one of the legends, but if he stays healthy for a longer period of time, he could be. Um, so really, good move by Larusa, guaranteeing he has his guy going in Game 7. And I look at Texas, and just their nature of their rotation is a bit different from St. Louis. Obviously, Carpenter is... Uh, pretty clearly the best starting pitcher in this series. Um, he's the guy who really looked at going into this one thinking that's the guy who can carry his team um, in his one or two starts, obviously, uh, or in his multiple starts in this one. Whereas the Rangers, they're backed by uh, backing C.J. Wilson. He's really thought of the ace of that staff since Cliff Lee left. And Wilson, he's a young guy. He's got great stuff. I know we looked at la- um, back when they had Cliff Lee, Wilson pitching after Lee was honestly a little bit detrimental to some of his playoff success in their last run with Lee because, honestly, Wilson's stuff is pretty much just a diminished version of Cliff Lee. Um, But he's a really solid pitcher, even for your one guy in a postseason run. So I understand why Texas didn't try and arrange it to have him go in Game 7. But if we look at those bullpens, that's really where I think LaRusa shined over Ron Washington. I mean, Tony LaRusa, like we said, set the record for most bullpen moves in the playoffs. Um, and obviously that's not going to work out all of the time. Not all of those moves are really going to work out or even make sense uh, viewing them in hindsight. But, uh, but he made the right moves when he needed to. He used his whole bullpen, wasn't overusing guys, and thus was able to send the pitchers he wanted out there. He was always pretty clearly in control of the situation, except, of course, when they had that mu- miscommunication error, uh, error and he had to send the wrong pitcher out there. I think that was, that was game five, I believe. Uh, so when they had that pitching landline issue, when he called down to the bullpen, couldn't get the right pitcher up, other than that, Ulrusa was very clearly in control of his bullpen. He always had the option to send who he felt was right for the situation out there. Um, whereas Texas's bullpen was kind of just based around Alexio Gondo. And it was a real shame he really couldn't... They wore him out, honestly, in this postseason. And as such, with the game on the line, Game 6, the chance to clinch the postseason... Um, you had Darren Oliver out there, who's, you know, he's a solid pitcher, but honestly, he's been around for, you know, going on well over 10 years at this point. He's past his prime. Uh, again, a solid pitcher. He can get guys out, but I'm just not sure if you want Darren Oliver up there facing a righty in that situation. Um, moving on a little bit to this free agency, uh, moving on past the uh, World Series, obviously the Cardinals are going to be one of the teams seeing the most change, potentially at least, going into next season. They've lost their manager, Tony LaRusa, who I was just crediting as being so good in this World Series. Uh, he decided to call it quits. He's managed a lot of seasons, and he has decided to retire. Um, but possibly more important than that is Albert Pujols' pending free agency. And now, Pujols wasn't a superstar during the World Series, with the exception of that three-home run game where he just carried St. Louis to a win. Um, it was David Fries won the World Series MVP and was clearly the most important batter on St. Louis, probably followed by someone like Lance Berkman during the World Series, at least. But Albert Pujols is Albert Pujols. He's the most dominant hitter of this era and possibly the most dominant hitter of all time. Um, so his pending free agency is certainly the biggest story of this offseason, but I honestly see him returning to St. Louis. Um, a, Poulos is a very good fit in St. Louis, and that obviously he's such a superstar, he needs to be in a big-time baseball town. 
Um, but he's not really a huge big city type of guy. You know, he's not like LeBron James out there really trying to make himself a world name, um, you know, trying to market himself globally. Albert Poole seems pretty content just being known as the best baseball player around. And as such, being in a place like St. Louis, where he doesn't have to deal with a huge city or massive media, but still gets to be with one of the best baseball teams and one of the baseball, best baseball cities in America, is very good for exactly that kind of thing. Also, the major players for free agents just aren't really in the market for Albert Pujols. Um, well, as a Yankees fan, I'd love to see Pujols out there in right field or something like that, or even as a DH for the Yankees. It just doesn't really make sense. They don't have the salary space right now. Um, obviously, they're always willing to spend over what they say they will, but they don't have this spot at first base. Mark Teixeira has that pretty much locked up. The same goes for the Boston Red Sox who are looking to rebuild to some degree. We imagine a lot of those guys implicated in some of the scandals, some of the falling out, may go. They've already gotten rid of their GM and their manager. I imagine some of the players are going to go. But I doubt first baseman Adrian Gonzalez is going to be one of those guys. Gonzalez, again, just signed to a major deal and is a pretty much a superstar first baseman over there for Boston. I don't see them acquiring Pujols either. The main team everybody's been talking about for Pujols since his free agency became apparent, kind of since a year, this time about a year ago, has of course been the Chicago Cubs, who added Theo Epstein, the former Red Sox GM, um, as their president of baseball operations, I believe. And they make some sense to some degree. They're lacking in the first base department. They certainly don't have anyone near Pujols' caliber, um, unlike New York and Boston. And they do have a new a new team president. You know, Theo Epstein is kind of essentially the GM. He is definitely calling all the shots over there. But I really just don't see Pools making sense for Chicago. It's not exactly that they're not that they're building so long term that Pools couldn't help them. But I think they're not really looking to be a massive contender for at least another three or four years. I'd say about three years is where I'd put the Cubs at really contending for a title. And I think that's kind of towards the back end of Pujols' prime. Um, so I'd expect him to return to St. Louis. It's just too good of a fit. And that puts St. Louis right back into contention for possibly getting back-to-back World Series next season. So now let's take a break. You're listening to Speaking of Sports. I'm Jason. Keep it right here on the Voice America Kids Network. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Kids these days are so connected to the media that they can't help but be surrounded by news and politics. Today's kids get more information than kids of past generations, and because of that, they have more informed opinions. Kids today may not be able to vote yet, but they can certainly influence voters and issues with their voices. Tune in every week for America Today and talk about the issues and influence the decision makers. America Today airs every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids channel. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. 
Behind the Line is all about the inside of sports from a kid's point of view. This is a look at all of the action from Behind the Line. Join your host every Wednesday at 3 p.m. whether you're a kid or was a kid at some time in your life. We'll run down all of the scores, talk about the games of the past week, and preview what's coming up in the next week. You'll want to take notes because this is good stuff. The place to be Wednesdays at 3. That's 6 p.m. Eastern is the Voice America Kids channel for Behind the Line. Want to laugh yourself silly over the crazy happenings of the celeb world and beyond? Tune in to Behind the Mask on Voice America Kids. Your hosts will uncover the celebrities you know and love, along with some that you might not know in this country, but they are admired across the world. But it's not just the famous that need to look out. We'll look inside the music biz, stage, and of course, the big screen. Listen to Behind the Mask every Thursday at 8 p.m. on Broadway and 5 p.m. Hollywood side on the Voice America Kids channel. You're tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. Now, back into the action. Welcome back. I'm Jason, and this is Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids Network. Uh, If you're just joining us, you missed out on some reflections on that last World Series, uh, Game 7 and Game 6 especially. Um, where the Cardinals once again take, took out the Texas Rangers 4-3. to three. Uh, Then we broke down Albert Pujols as a free agent for a couple minutes there, um, with my overall conclusion being that he's probably staying in St. Louis, um, largely because New York and Boston don't need a first baseman. They're typically the guys uh, who can win these bidding wars with the hometown teams. And also just because St. Louis is a very good fit for Albert Pujols uh, for a couple of reasons. A, he's a star baseball player, obviously. He's one of the best players of this generation and possibly of all time. But he's not this huge personality who's going to flourish in a huge city and a huge market. Um, so he's got a big baseball city over in St. Louis, but it's not really the biggest place in the world uh, as a whole. It's not New York. It's not Boston. Uh, so I think St. Louis is a great fit for Pujols, so I think he's sticking around. Plus, he seems pretty happy there. Uh, and with two rings and, what, three MVPs, who wouldn't be? So recently we had the Gold Glove Awards announced, uh, Silver Slugger's yet to be announced at the time of this recording. Um, we're going to break down some of the Associated Press Gold Gloves. Uh, we'll go over all of them, but I'm really only going to focus on some of the more controversial selections. Uh, so we'll just go through all of them first, position by position, let's do. Um, starting out pitcher, in the AL was Mark Burley of Chicago uh, for the White Sox. Not really any of a surprise. Burley's pretty much just unanimously considered the best fielding pitcher in baseball. Uh, there's not much to complain about. He's he's the best, and there's not much of a debate about it. Uh, in the NL, a little bit more controversial. Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers pitcher, took it in the National League. Uh, once again, he's not really the unanimous guy. He's not Mark Burley out there. He doesn't have the official ESPN uh, play rating system for defensive baseball plays isn't named after him like it is for Mark Burley. Uh, but Kershaw put up a perfect fielding percentage in 2011. Um, that's kind of all you need to say about it. Like I said, Kershaw not exactly known for his defense, but frankly, you can't do any better than perfection for your fielding percentage. So really no complaints from me there. Um, catcher in the AL, it went to Matt Weeders of Baltimore. Um, I personally like this pick, but this is definitely the first one that could have some controversy surrounding it. Uh, Weeders is a big-time physical prospect, absolutely. He should be the best defensive catcher in baseball. Um, he's got size like Joe Maurer and speed better than Maurer, a better arm than Maurer. Um, he's the absolute prototypical catcher. 
Like people talk about Joe Maurer as the prototypical catcher, but that's because they don't think it's plausible to have Matt Wieters. Wieters should probably be the best catcher in baseball. Just hasn't quite worked out yet, but he is still a young guy. Um, he is clearly a Gold Glove caliber catcher for those reasons. Um, and he had a pretty good claim on it this season. Uh, one pass ball, threw out 34 base runners, a good percentage on those base runners. You're going to hear some debates. There are a lot of other guys in baseball throw out a lot of base runners. Russell Martin of the Yankees, guys all around the American League who have very good arms behind the plate. Um, but it's that pass ball, and it's what Weeders is able to do once the ball is batted and in play. He blocks the plate well. He's very athletic back there. He can cover bases for third or first because of his speed and his athleticism. I like the pick. Some people might not. Uh, over in the NL, it went to Yadier Molina from St. Louis, uh, from the Cardinals. And once again, that's just an obvious one. That's like Mark Burley. Um, the Molina is a notorious great fielding catching family. Yadier, probably the best yet, better than his older brothers, uh, Benji and Jose Molina. Yadier Molina is the best arm, bar none, of catchers in baseball. Doesn't let balls by him. He is the best defensive catcher in baseball. No arguments here. Uh, now we get the first base, and this is the big controversy right now. Um, the one of the biggest debates surrounding it. It's not my biggest outrage personally, but it's the big, most controversial around baseball, and that's at American League first base. Went to Adrian Gonzalez from Boston. Probably should have gone to Mark Teixeira, the New York Yankees first baseman. Obviously, you get Boston versus New York going on, and everybody's going to pick a fight. Um, but it probably should have gone Teixeira's way. Granted, they're pretty similar uh, from a defensive stance statistically. Errors are very close. A uh, UZR, which if you're not familiar with, or um, is it UZR or URZ? Now I have to look it up. Um, it's ultimate zone rating, UZR. It is the most, pretty much the most definitive statistic defensively in baseball is UZR, ultimate zone rating. They were very close once again. Uh, Gonzalez a bit above Teixeira, which might have been the reason that the voters decided to give it to Adrian Gonzalez. However, if you look at first base, it's just not a great position for something like UZR, which is based mostly on balls in play. Um, putouts and whatnot are, are, are a factor. It does account for first baseman type things, but it doesn't particularly count in for Teixeira's ability to save his infielders from getting those errors. Uh, Robinson Cano has a cannon for an arm, has no idea where the ball is going at least a quarter of the time, and Teixeira prevents him from getting those throwing errors because he is so great defensively. Uh, I disagree with this one, but once again, like I said, there's a bigger snub coming up in this debate. Uh, in the NL, Joey Votto, Cincinnati, once again, Teixe um, Albert Pujol is known for being great defensively. He did miss a month with that broken arm. Votto is very good. Uh, 9.96 fielding percentage. That's pretty close to 100. Uh, Votto, definitely good choice there. You can debate it all you want. He's very good. Uh, Dustin Pedroia wins the AL second baseman one, once again, at Boston. Uh, Pedroia, pretty solid. Uh, his UZR was very high, 17.9, tops among uh, second basemen, and second among all MLB players. Uh, like I said, Cano is a cannon for an arm. That's who I see as the main debate here is Robbie Cano. Um, Cano is a cannon for an arm, probably more athletic, certainly more graceful than Pedroia. Pedroia just absolutely had a better year defensively and is probably the better defensive player. No complaints here. Um, going over to the NL, this is probably the third and last, uh, maybe third of four, just lockdown winners of a gold glove. Brandon Phillips of Cincinnati, he is the best defensive second baseman in baseball. 
Honestly, the guy's just a beast. He's super fast, great range, great arm, and makes very intelligent plays out there at second base for Cincinnati. So no complaints here. Brandon Phillips, he's the best defensive second baseman in baseball. He had that word coming. Third base in the AL was Adrian Beltre. Uh, made a fair amount of errors this season, made 11 errors. But once again, he's pretty much widely considered at least one of the best third basemen defensively in baseball. And I certainly have no complaints with him getting this one. I'll give it to him. Uh, over in the NL, a bit more controversy at third base. Paxil Polanco of Philadelphia won it. He only played 118 games at third is mostly where people's complaints are stemming uh, in regard to Polanco. He was very impressive over there. Eight errors. Um, you remember Beltre made 11. Uh, so if you factor it out for a whole season, Polanco ends up with roughly the same number of errors there. Um, and a 14.0 UZR, which would have been best among third basemen, um, or is best among third basemen, despite the fact they only had those 118 games. Um, and if you've seen Polanco play, I doubt you're really going to argue with this one. He's something pretty special over there at third base, despite the fact that he hasn't been playing it his whole career. Uh, shortstop in the AL, it was Eric Ibar of the Angels. I'm personally a fan of this one. Uh, Ibar only 13 or er, 13 errors, which is a bit much, um, and his UZR was rather low at 1.2. But to me, he passes the eye test. He makes the smart plays and the flashy plays, not just one or the other. He's solid, but like I said, at the same time, he's got that flash. He's got that big time range over there at shortstop. Um, and I know a lot of people probably throwing out the, uh, Derek Jeter is always the controversial guy at shortstop in the AL. Um, Jeter, I've backed him for a couple of his gold gloves. I think he's a three-time gold glove winner. The first couple of those were probably deserving, but at this point, his age is catching up to him. I wouldn't expect any Jeter gold gloves out um, for the rest of his career. And in the AL, it's really going to be up in the air for really the near future at shortstop. Uh, the NL was Troy Tulowitzki, really obvious on this one. This is his second straight gold glove. He's taking a lockdown of that NL shortstop position for gold gloves. Um, no complaints here. Troy Tulowitzki, probably the best all-around shortstop in baseball, and that includes defensively. Now we get into the outfield, and here's the biggest snub in gold gloves. Uh, I might even say in gold glove history, but I'm certainly not qualified to say that. Left field, American League, Alex Gordon, Kansas City Royals. That's criminal. Um, Gordon did lead the league with 20 outfield assists. He has a cannon out there in left field. He's a great player, great guy, great defender. But Brett Gardner, left fielder in New York, is the best defensive outfielder in baseball. Um, we're going to pull up the UZRs real quick. I had mentioned earlier UZR ultimate zone rating. It's the most definitive way to define, uh, the most definitive statistic for a defense. You know, it's one of those... Uh, one of those big-time combination statistics where they add a lot of things. It accounts for stadiums. It accounts for position. It accounts for all of those things. In first place in UZR in baseball is Brett Gardner with 25.2 this past year. Second place is Dustin Pedroia with 17.9. All the other gaps, Pedroia is like a point in the third, uh, 1.3 points above Ellsbury, who's beyond him. And after that, the gaps are pretty much like 0.1 or 0.2. Brett Gardner is so much better in terms of UZR than everyone else in baseball. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I understand that Alex Gordon has an absolute cannon in left field, but that's just wrong. Uh, we're running a little bit short on time. So in the NL, it was Gerardo Pera from the Diamondbacks. Um, he has a, only two errors this season, good speed. He's a great defensive player. I expect more gold gloves to come from him. 
Uh, center field in the AL, we have Jacoby Ellsbury from the Red Sox. You heard me mention him when talking about the guys with those top UZRs. He was third with 15.6. Um, he's a great fielder, great speed, great arm. He can do it all. Might be an MVP candidate in the future. Hey, was an MVP candidate this year. Um, Ellsbury, again, no complaints from me. In the NL, Matt Kemp won the NL Gold Glove, which is kind of a shame. I'm a big Matt Kemp fan. He's a great guy, great player. He's pretty mediocre out there in center. He really is nothing special out in center field. Um, He's got good speed. There's really not much to say about Matt Kemp in center field, except he does not really deserve a Gold Glove. And right field, we have Marcakis in the AL, Ether in the NL. Both these guys, pretty similar. Not exactly the biggest range out there, but absolute cannons for arms. you got to give some credit for that when you're not going against a guy like Brett Gardner. Uh, So now let's take a break. You're listening to Speaking of Sports. I'm Jason. Keep it right here on the Voice America Kids Network. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do you believe in the supernatural? Well, some do and some don't, which is why Beyond the Third Dimension looks at both sides. You have one host who believes in ghosts, while the other can't think of anything more ridiculous. Put them together and you get some great discussion and some real discoveries and exploration of the paranormal and then some. Tune in to Beyond the Third Dimension, airing Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Kids. And try not to be afraid of things that go bump in the night. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Kids face very tough and very real issues every single day. It can be bad. It can be ugly. Now there's something good that can help. Tune in to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly on the Voice America Kids channel. We'll discuss the issues and provide solutions and connections to solutions that you will be able to use. Our show goes right to the heart of today's kids and beyond. Your parents will probably want to listen in, too. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly airs Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern on Voice America Kids. You just love your pets. But sometimes they can get to be a handful. And just when you think you have them under control, that's when things get, well, crazy. For help, tune into Paul's Around the World. You'll get the inside secrets on keeping your pet the friend it's supposed to be, along with stories to keep you warm and fuzzy. Listen Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Kids. You're tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. Now, back into the action. Thank you, and welcome back. I'm Jason, and this is Speaking of Sports on the Voice America Kids Network. If you're just joining us, you missed our MLB coverage. Uh, In our first segment, we look back on this past World Series. The Cardinals took on the Texas Rangers and won in Game 7, 4-3. 
Uh, we looked back mostly on Game 6 and Game 7, compared some of the managerial choices made by Tony Arusa and Ron Washington, uh, the St. Louis and Texas managers, respectively. Uh, we broke down Albert Pujols' prospects as a free agent, with the conclusion being that he's probably staying in St. Louis. Um, then in our second segment, we mostly looked at the Gold Glove Award announcements, um, where I took massive outrage with Brett Gardner not getting a Gold Glove, um, because statistically he is leagues better than literally everyone else in baseball. Um, literally, he is much better than everyone else, if you look at the stats. Uh, but now we're going to change gears a little bit, get a bit away from Major League Baseball and on to the NFL, which I'm still just grateful that they're actually playing with us missing time already with the NBA lockout. I'm just glad the NFL isn't in lockout. Uh, so we're about midway through the season. A lot of teams have played about half their games, teams with seven or eight games played at this point. And we have a lot of shocking teams still left in the NFL. Obviously, there are some teams who just aren't going to surprise you. The Patriots are 5-2. and two. Eh, Maybe you thought they'd be a little bit better. Uh, Pittsburgh, 6-2. and two. Not shocking anyone. Uh, Houston, 5-3. and three. You know That's close enough to 8-8 eight and eight that they'll probably still wind up there. Uh, my kid, of course. I expect this year to be the year that Houston finally gets off to Schneid and takes that division. Um, you know, Oakland, Kansas City, trying to prove that they're for real over in that AFC West. They both sit at 4-3. Uh, the Eagles, one of the shocking teams so far, um, they were expected to be a bit of a dream team. They sit 3-4. and four. Uh, Green Bay, 7-0. and oh. Maybe you didn't think they'd be quite this good, as they have trounced pretty much everyone they've played. But you probably figured that they'd be out in front of that NFC North. Uh, in the South, New Orleans 5-3, and three, and of course it's hilariously competitive with Tampa Bay and Atlanta at 4-3. and three. It's the NFC South that pretty much always is. And the NFC West, really the big shocker that someone's actually been able to win games over there in the NFC West, San Francisco sits at 6-1. and one. Um, So those are pretty much just a breakdown of the division leaders. Uh, let's go into some of these surprising teams. We'll start over in the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills, and how about those Bills? Um, I was actually wrong. They are technically your AFC East division leaders. It is not the New England Patriots. The Bills have the head-to-head tiebreaker. They took down the mighty Pats. Um, And the Bills have just been flat-out impressive. There's nothing really cutesy or anything like that about them. They just suddenly have a dynamic electric offense. Uh, They lead the AFC in points scored. Um, that's pretty impressive when you look at the other teams in the AFC, especially their division rivals, the New England Patriots. 211 points scored, um, and their defense is doing pretty well themselves. Um, they have one of the higher point differentials in all of football. Um, they're 4-0 at home. They're 1-2 on the road. Uh, we'll see how things go when teams aren't playing up in the, you know, up in the cold in Buffalo. Um, although at this point in time, you imagine Buffalo would probably rather have those home games later in the year when the cold's a bigger factor. Um, but for me, the key to Buffalo has been the man who's pretty much been playing for his job ever since he got that job. That is Ryan Fitzpatrick, Bill's quarterback. Um, everybody pretty much knows the story at this point. Um, if not, yeah, there's a random bearded guy running around playing quarterback for the Bills. He went to Harvard. Um, he scores very well on his SATs, his Wonderlick tests, pretty much any test you put in front of him, including the test that is the New England Patriots defense. Um, Fitzpatrick's having a pretty spectacular season, uh, 14 touchdowns on the year, 1,700 yards. 
Um, he finally got his extension. He finally got his big-time contract. Uh, he signed a six-year extension after pretty much playing for his job these past two years. And Fitzpatrick really shouldn't be that much of a surprise to anyone. Um, last year, he was really good. You had to kind of choose to ignore him, which I know a lot of people did, um, because the AFC East was so hard, with New England and the Jets both being such tough teams last year, and even Miami certainly not being a joke out there, that the Bills just felt fluky most of the time. Um, even when they were looking kind of electric on offense, it just really wasn't something people seriously looked at. But no, Ryan Fitzpatrick to Steve Johnson, um, or Stevie Johnson as some people like to call him, is a real quarterback-to-receiver connection. They are here to stay, and I expect for at least five more years, maybe not Buffalo in contention like this, but at least having an interesting offensive front um, because they seem to have locked down the running back position at least for now. As we know, everything at running back is really temporary in the NFL, except for Adrian Peterson, of course, as fantasy owners will know. Um, Fred Jackson, over 700 yards at this point in the year, really doing a solid job back there. And, of course, they have C.J. Spiller, the guy they drafted in first round last year, doing some special teams work and occasionally hitting the big home run from that running back spot. So, really, that's all there is to say about the Bills. There's nothing cutesy about them. They don't have some electric coaching staff. Their Wildcat is good. They have Brad Smith as their Wildback quarterback, but it's not something they really abuse too much. Um, so yeah, the Bills are here to stay, at least for now. They're a real good team. In the AFC North, surprise, surprise, the tie for second place. Both teams just one win behind Pittsburgh at 5-2 and two each. Pittsburgh is 6-2. and two. Baltimore, who you probably expected, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, who would have guessed an offseason that was based around the team's refusal to trade Carson Palmer, which I'm going to try and knock it into, uh, because Palmer was finally traded to Oakland. Um, in one of the, you know, after one of probably the dumbest moves in NFL history, which was Cincinnati's refusal to get rid of the guy. They came out with rookie quarterback Andrew Dalton. And honestly, Andy Dalton has been one of the best things to watch in the NFL this year. Um, because there's just something refreshing to watching him. It feels like you're watching a TCU game. It feels like you really are watching college football out there. Because it's not quite like watching Cam Newton where you see he's just a dominant presence out there. And we will get to Cam Newton because he's been far too spectacular not to get to. Andrew, Andy Dalton really does kind of look like the underdog out there. It feels like at some point it's all going to fall apart. It looks like the Bengals are outmatched, but they are winning these games. Um, defensively, they've been pretty solid. Um, as we know, if we go back a couple of years, this was a defensive running team built around Cedric Benson and solid defense that made it to the playoffs. So I don't get why that should be too big of a surprise for anyone. Um, and then on top of that, like I said, Andy Dalton has been finding his receivers. Um, AJ, AJ Green, the first round receiver selection for Cincinnati, hasn't quite been as electric as one would hope. But he looks like he has the potential to do so. Um, and really, Cincinnati, they're playing very solid football. Like I said, it's kind of like Buffalo, only it just looks a little bit less impressive. Uh, the Bengals look a bit outmatched out there. They look like they're not fast enough. They look like they're not quite well run enough. But we'll see. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's just the way they look. And maybe Andy Dalton is the real deal at quarterback. Um, I certainly think he is. I don't see him as really you know, an MVP candidate type guy, but I think he is certainly a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. 
Uh, so now let's take a break. You're listening to Speaking of Sports. I'm Jason. Keep it right here on the Voice America Kids Network. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Terrence Rogers Show will take the world by storm. The topics are sometimes newsworthy, sometimes personal, as we explore fashion, entertainment, art, and more. Host Terrence Rogers has seen a lot of life experience in his few years of life. It's this experience that allows him to bring a fresh perspective to the table, and he holds nothing back. Tune in to The Terrence Rogers Show every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Kids channel. You'll laugh, cry, and most importantly, this show will reach out and touch your life. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. What is Take Two? Take two crazy hosts, put them in front of two microphones, and use your two ears to enjoy the fun. Times two. Take Two. We'll go back, way back to the favorite TV shows of our childhood. Your parents' childhood. Um, no. Uh, try again, Chris. Take two. We'll take you back to the favorite TV shows of our generation, past and present, and apply them to what's going on in our own lives. Trust us, it'll be a blast. Tune in to Take Two every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Kids channel. There is so much going on in the tech field. The Technology Show is here to sort it all out so that you know exactly what you need to get and what you should avoid. In this age of cell phones and text messaging and new discoveries every single day, you need to be informed. We'll bring you previews of new products, technology news, and help you make the right decision when you are out there buying that new MP3 player, cell phone, or mobile device. Don't do a thing until you've tuned in to The Technology Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Kids. What are some of the issues that kids face every day? You'll find out when you tune into the appropriately named Today's Kids. Your hosts are here to open the doors to a forum of all kinds of issues. Nothing is off the table here, and because it's on the Voice America Kids channel, you know you're getting a kid's perspective. Tune in every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Today's Kids. Your hosts will lead this forum of engaging conversation on Voice America Kids. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. You're tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. Now, back into the action. Welcome back to Speaking of Sports. I'm Jason. Um, This is Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids Network. Uh, If you're just joining us, you missed our our MLB discussion. There we are, our Major League Baseball discussion. 
We looked back at the World Series, looked at Albert Pujols, the potential free agent, um, and looked at some of those Gold Glove Award winners, including the major snub of left fielder Brett Gardner. Uh, we just started talking about the NFL. We broke down you know, the division leaders for each division and started getting into some of these real surprise teams out there. We covered the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, with the conclusion that both are pretty much just playing solid football right now. Um, I was under the impression that Buffalo was pretty much here to stay. They have a legitimately strong offense and a legitimately solid defense, um, whereas Cincinnati I'm not so sure of. They really do look outmatched there most of the time, even when they're winning. Um, so now moving on, in the AFC South, the Texans at the top shouldn't surprise anyone too much if you knew that Peyton wasn't playing for Indianapolis. Um, what is kind of surprising is that the Titans are not terrible. The Titans are probably going to finish right around 500. They're four and three right now. Probably not going to break that eight win mark, but eight wins for that team is pretty impressive considering all they've been to or all they've been through with the firing of Jeff Fisher, uh, the total turnover at quarterback, and things like that. And of course, the Indianapolis Colts. If you told me that Peyton Manning was going to be hurt and the Colts would finish last in the division if he didn't play the entire year, I'd probably believe you. Peyton Manning was always very clearly much more important to his Colts than anyone, even Tom Brady was, to the Patriots. But the Colts are absolutely terrible. They're not just the worst team in football this year. They're probably the worst team that I have ever seen play. Um, defensively, we've known they've been awful for a while now, really since the Super Bowl run, um, since guys like Bob Sanders went down, uh, since Bob Sanders got injured pretty much permanently, that team hasn't really had a real identity defensively beyond the fact that they have good edge rushers. So we kind of knew that there were jokes defensively. But the offense, I can't believe it. Honestly, I don't see how you can really vote Reggie Wayne into the Hall of Fame anymore. Um, I thought Reggie Wayne was a lock for the Hall of Fame. But after seeing just how dreadful that team is as a whole offensively when Peyton's not there, I mean, you have to question anyone who's ever played with him. I mean, is Marvin Harrison really a truly legendary re receiver? Is Reggie Wayne a Hall of Famer? Are Austin Colley and Pierre Garçon and Dallas Clark really anybody whatsoever? Or is it all just Peyton? Um, I'm, I'm honestly speechless by, made speechless by this. As someone who's pretty closely followed the Colts for several years now, like I said, I knew the defense was bad, but the offense, I really just can't believe that one player, even a quarterback, can make that much of an impact on an NFL offense. Um, when LeBron left the Cavs, I expected them to crash and burn. Like I said, if you told me the Colts would finish last in this division, I'd have believed you. But even I can't believe just how bad the Indianapolis Colts are. Like I mentioned, the AFC West, things are kind of as expected. The Chargers are always pretty good. They're 4-3, tied with the Raiders and Chiefs, who had good seasons last year and are pretty much proving they're for real contenders, at least in the AFC West. Um, they're 4-3 as well. Uh, we have to stop and talk a bit about the Denver Broncos, who sit at 2-5. and five. Um... Once again, the standings, the record isn't really that impressive. Everybody probably figured 2-5 and five was about where the Broncos would be. But it's just not sports talk radio if we don't talk about Tim Tebow. Um, Tebow, honestly, he's been awful in his two games that have started out. Um, Tebow has 
really played pretty much he's played seven and a half dreadful quarters this season and one half of a spectacular fourth quarter um, to lead them to a comeback in his first start. That being said, they need to keep starting Tebow. The team was, what, one and four without Tebow, with Kyle Orton. The team isn't good without Tebow. You play Tebow, you either he either proves that he is the guy, he is a guy you can build your team around, he can be your quarterback, um, or finally the fans get their taste of Tebow mania, they see him, they still love him, but by the end of the season when your team's, you know, three and 13 and Tebow's got 20 picks, they understand why he can't be your starting quarterback, and you can go and try and trade up for Andrew Luck or draft Matt Barkley or do whatever the Broncos' long-term plans would then be. So they have to keep playing Tebow. Oh, one little note on the Oakland Raiders is, of course, they were the ones who traded for Carson Palmer. Um, I'd mentioned when talking about the Bengals, that whole fiasco over in Cincinnati. Um, and no, I'm not just referring to the Bengals as that. The deal with Carson Palmer, um, he was finally traded to Oakland. Seems like a pretty good trade. He might finally lock down that quarterback position because I personally don't believe in Jason Campbell. The NFC East, a bit too much going on for us to talk about all of it. But it's pretty simple. Like a lot of years, the Giants are solid. The Giants, no, there's nobody's Super Bowl pick right now. They're 5-2. and two. They're leading the division pretty convincingly. They're pretty good. That's all there is to say. Solid on offense. They run the ball pretty well. They pass the ball pretty well. Solid on defense. They're just a pretty good all-around football team. Of course, it's Dallas and Philadelphia that everyone's talking about, and for good reason. They're a bit more exciting than over in New York. Um... Philly, I do see turning things around. No, they're not a dream team. I mean, the guy who declared they're a dream team is their backup quarterback, Vince Young. Um, but they do have holes on defense. They're not a great defensive team. They're not a bad one either. They're a pretty mediocre defensive team. Um, but that's enough to at least win this division. They are explosive offensively. They have a great running game um, with Vic, of course, and then with LaShawn McCoy, a very good NFL running back. Big-time passing game. Vic's one of the best pocket passers in the league at this point. They should be dominant offensively, and they should go and at least challenge the Giants for that NFC East. Um, the Cowboys, honestly, I thought um, I thought that this might be the Cowboys' year. Uh, not in that they'd go and they'd win the Super Bowl, they'd do everything right, it'd be spectacular, Romo's the MVP, nothing like that. But I just thought this was their year that they would win their 10 games, go to the playoffs, and at least give it a whirl. Um, and I still think they can turn things around. There's just a bit less turbulence in Dallas than we've seen in years past. They can focus a bit more on football and actually playing the game. Um, and as always, I'm going to say it for the hundredth time, Tony Romo is not the problem. He's just not the solution either. Tony Romo will not... Um, while Tony Romo may actually lose you a football game and that he won't make the big comeback at the end of the game, he's not going to lose it through poor play throughout. He's just not going to win the game at the end of the game that you've, uh, that you've been losing either. Um, so Tony Romo, he's never going to be this superstar MVP type player in the league. He's a solid NFL quarterback, can be an all-star some years, might put up big-time stats, and the Cowboys should be able to win with their talent, with their desire to win. They should be able to win with him at quarterback. In the NFC North, told you so is all I'm going to say about the Detroit Lions. They might be the best defensive team in football, um, and Dom Kinsu and Calvin Johnson, I think, are the two best players on either side of the field, um, at least ignoring quarterbacks for offense. Um, they have just total dominance at that defensive line now that Nick Fairley is playing alongside Sue at defensive tackle. Um, and on offense, when Matthew Stafford's actually healthy, Calvin Johnson is able to have someone competent throwing him the ball. 
um, which opens up everything else. You have to try your hardest to shut down Calvin Johnson, which opens up the rest of the passing game, which opens up the running game. Um, And, of course, even if you're double-teaming Calvin Johnson, you really can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. The Lions are for real. I don't know if they're going to catch the Packers because I don't know if anyone's going to catch the Packers. The Packers are hilariously good offensively. Um, But the Lions are, I'd say, a near lock for that wild-card spot. NFC South, everyone's good except for Carolina. We knew that. Cam Newton is really good, though. Um, I said before the draft and immediately after the draft, I don't see why everyone suggests Cam Newton needs to be able to run the ball in the NFL to be good. And yes, he can run the ball in the NFL. He has, I think, six rushing touchdowns this year, um, a handful of rushing yards, a good number of rushing yards. He can run the ball as well as any other pretty mobile quarterback. But the guy's like 6'6", the guy's an absolute tank back there. He's massive, has a cannon for an arm. He's a prototypical pocket-passing quarterback who just also happens to be fat, who also happens to be pretty fast. Um, so Cam Newton, he obviously is the real deal. He'll try and cut back on those incompletions, some of those interceptions. Um, expect greatness out of Cam Newton. And in turn, in some years to come, expect greatness from Carolina. Going to be interesting to see what happens in that NFC South since it's already so competitive. Um, and in the NFC West, the Rams are 1-6, Cardinals are 1-6, Seahawks are 2-5. and five. No big surprises there. But the San Francisco 49ers are 6-1, and one, and they just look spectacular if you've watched them play. Um, if you watch the 49ers play um, without the uniforms, if you couldn't tell what team it was, you'd probably guess that they were the New England Patriots, that they were the Green Bay Packers, that they were, at the very least, the New York Giants, that they were one of those solid, constant contending teams in the NFL, because that's just how they play. Defensively, they've had Patrick Willis forever. The guy's an absolute beast, that middle linebacker. They've got all it takes to be a lockdown defensive team um, in that they have the talent back there. They're a solid team defensively. They have a great core of guys, and they're just playing great schematically beyond Jim Arbaugh. Um, then offensively, I don't know quite what's gotten into Alex Smith. Maybe the realization that if his team has any draft pick, they can try and trade for Andrew Luck. They're going to do it. But Alex Smith, there's a reason that that guy was a first overall pick. His hands being kind of small is not enough to make him a terrible NFL quarterback. He's pretty good back there. Michael Crabtree is the real deal at receiver. Um, Vernon Davis, despite the fact you can't win with him, I've always been a fan of him at tight end. I think everyone except Mike Singletary, his former head coach, probably is. Um, And Frank Gore, the running back, has really been the model for consistency in the NFL when he's been healthy. Um, Obviously had that horrific uh, knee injury back at Miami, reminiscent of the Willis McGahee Miami knee injury. But since then, has really recovered nicely and has been a solid NFL player. Um, and has really shouldered a lot of the load offensively for San Francisco. Uh, Like I said, it's mostly the defense that's done it for them. They've got one of the best defenses in the NFC. But on the offensive end, they've been solid. They've been balanced. um, They've really taken care of things. Alex Smith is spraying the ball around, particularly, like I mentioned, to Davis and Crabtree, who should be his main targets. They should be the electric guys out there. Frank Gore is staying healthy for now, handling the ball well, not fumbling, grinding out those five-yard carries. And with that defense, that's all they really need to happen. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I'm not going to say he's the greatest coach in the NFL yet, but he is certainly working on it. Um, I loved him back at Stanford. That team has always been more than Andrew Luck. 
Um, and I'm excited to see what he has in store in the future, just as excited as I am to see what Andrew Luck's going to bring to the NFL. Um, so that's going to be all for us. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Speaking of Sports. I'm Jason. Keep it right here on the Voice America Kids Network. Thanks again for listening to Speaking of Sports on the Voice America Kids channel. Make sure you come on back next week for another great show. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today.